Hello everyone, this is Eva Nolik-Smith at Yoga U Online, and I'm very honored to be here today with renowned yoga teacher and author Donna Farhi. Donna has been teaching yoga since 1982, and she's the author of several books on yoga that really have become some of the most classic books on the practice of yoga asana. And that includes her book on uh, yoga, mind, body, and spirit, the breathing book, and her newest book, Pathways to a Centered Body. Donna, as most of you know, is one of the most sought after guest teachers in the world. And she's known for her incredible in-depth knowledge of yoga anatomy and yoga teaching methodology. Her approach to yoga is informed by the refinement of natural and universal movement principles that underline safe and sustainable yoga practice, which is one of the lead themes in Donna's work. After Nearly four decades of practice, Donna believes that yoga is about learning to befriend ourselves and to be in friendship with others as a means of building greater fellowship with all of humanity. Donna is American born, but she now resides in New Zealand on a 30 acre form in Christchurch which Donna, I think, just sounds so romantic and wonderful. <laughs> uh, well, it is until 200 sheep get out, which they did the other day. <laughs> we had to go and find them. So. <laughs> there are certainly days when it's not romantic at all. <laughs> oh, welcome. And thank you so much for joining us all the way from New Zealand. Oh, you're welcome. I just want to say to those listening, I, I am recovering from a head cold, so please forgive me if I am blowing my nose into <laughs> the, the recording here. So um, one of the things I wanted to talk with you today is um, about a major new course you have developed, which focuses on one of the most common issues people experience in yoga, which is problem, pain in the SI joint. So um, tell us what inspired you to create a course on this topic. Well, um, it's, been, it's been something that's been in development for a long time. Um, and over the last decade especially, but I would say really the last two decades of teaching, um, wherever I go, I encounter yogis who've got chronic or intermittent and sometimes acute sacroiliac dysfunction and pain. And that's always piqued my uh, interest as to why that's so in this population of people doing this practice because um, it's not something I think you would find uh, say in practitioners of Tai Chi or um, other movement systems mm -hmm. so it's it began a, um, a questioning process for me of what is contributing to this issue um, and I myself had had um, have had long-standing intermittent problems with 
my sacroiliac joint uh, beginning uh, during the period of time when I began intensively practicing in my late 20s. So when I started practicing two, three, sometimes four hours a day, uh, I began having sacroiliac dysfunction. And I noticed that my um, peers who were also um, receiving training at the time at the Iyengar Yoga Institute of San Francisco, it seemed like the more practice everyone did, the worse the sacroiliac joint got. So I wasn't alone in, in what I was experiencing. Um, so it's, it's been a, a question for me for a long time, both in my own personal practice of how I could create greater stability and, um, and ease in my own sacroiliac joint. And then in looking very carefully at students, uh, how I might help them to both avoid having a problem in the first place and then resolving issues once, once they're, they're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you think this issue primarily affects people who are really serious practitioners and practice many hours a day and who practice yoga for many years? Or is this something that affects a broader range of yoga students? Um, <clears throat> I, I think it affects a much broader range of yoga students simply because the, the repertoire of movement that is, is practiced in, in yoga and especially certain types of mm. movement in, in my mind is not um, functionally, functionally balanced um, or maybe another way of putting it is to ask the question, do these movements prepare me to uh, be able to, to do everyday movements such as sitting, squatting, bending over, lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and for many people who are doing yoga, their yoga practice is diminishing their ability to do everyday movements. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so in some ways they're doing their yoga practice, they're, they're having a life so that they can do a yoga practice rather than doing a yoga practice so that they can live their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the movement, the movement vocabulary itself, I think, um, has especially become unbalanced as um, we've seen the influx of uh, flow practices in particular. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and I'm not pointing the finger at anyone uh, or any particular method, but when you got people doing one asymmetrical movement after another very quickly and often with very little training and understanding about correct transitioning of movements um, and done quickly. Um, when I say quickly, sometimes at breakneck speed, you have a recipe for people really flinging themselves around in, in quite extreme ranges of motion. Mm-hmm. And I think the other major contributor has been 
are serious misunderstanding of how the pelvis and the hip joints function in relationship to each other and how that manifests in standing poses mm-hmm. and how that manifests in supine work where unlike say a dancer who's standing in a bar and she has to lift her leg in the air mm-hmm. she's immediately engaging her core to lift her leg up in the air and hold it there it takes tremendous yeah. strength all this supine work where we're lying down on the floor and and taking a very heavy limb and mm-hmm. simply letting it fall <laughs> to the side and yeah. doing these really extreme ranges of motion with a completely switched off core. Uh, so those kinds of movement practices um, start to erode the stability of the SI joint. And it can start in someone's first beginning level class. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. It can start in in a class where uh, they're practicing something like Supta Parangustasana, which for those of you who don't know Sanskrit, lying on the back with one leg in flexion, holding onto the big toe or holding on to a belt and opening the leg to the side and letting the leg fall out to the side. And mm-hmm. I see this in, in beginning level practices. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a fairly common practice throughout yeah. different yeah. methods. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, um, how do SI joint problems show up? What would someone feel if they had an SI, SI joint issue as opposed to, does, is it just low back pain or is mm. it located around the SI joint? So mm. What kind of common manifestations would someone be looking for who sus- might suspect they had an issue? Well, SIJ problems and lower back problems often go together. Let me first say that. Um, my chiropractor has said anecdotally that, and he's been in practice for a good 20 years and treats a lot of athletes, that about 70% of the time when there's a lower back problem, it's also something going on with the SIJ and, and right. vice versa. Uh, but a really simple question that I ask people, because quite frequently people will come into uh, the studio and say, I've got low back pain. And I'll say, well, show me where that is. And they don't put their hands on their lower back. They put their thumbs on the posterior superior iliac crust of, of the back of the pelvis. So they've got their hands mm-hmm. either side of the lower back on the rim of the pelvis. and Quite frequently, the way that that's manifesting for them is a niggling pain. With SIJ issues that arise as a result of hypermobility, it, it's not usually acute pain. That's mm-hmm. a niggling, aching um, pain. It can radiate into the groin, into the thigh, into the buttock. Um, for people who damage their SI joint through high velocity injuries, like football players mm-hmm. or um, in, in my instance, you know, falling off a uh, horse, um, which was the equivalent of jumping off a refrigerator and landing on a tile floor, uh, the pain is, is really acute. 
um, generally those individuals have very, very strong musculature and um, they've really built up their strength factor. So when they get a high velocity injury, such as being hit on, on the rugby field or the soccer field, it's a massive force that's caused the joint to subluxate and um, it, it will manifest as very, very acute pain. But generally I don't encounter yoga um, practitioners who have those kinds of levels of pain, but mm -hmm. it certainly can be debilitating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And usually you know, when we think about yoga injuries, um, or issues like strain created by yoga postures. We're usually thinking in terms of alignment mistakes and compensations creating those problems. But what's interesting about your work is that, um, particularly when it comes to the SI joint, you seem to be saying that it really has a lot more to do with the way yoga postures are being taught and, yeah. and to some extent the yoga postures that people do <laughs> because of mm -hmm. course there's a range. Mm -hmm. Could you explain that in more detail? Well, probably one of the most common um, instructions that I witness and I say witness because when I see a, a 50% of the group doing a movement in a particular way, uh, it's clear to me, and, and they're doing it in a really dysfunctional way that makes no sense for the body at all. I have to assume that that's been taught, that if, if they were doing that movement from felt sense of what felt kinesthetically um, right, in their body, they wouldn't choose that option. Mm -hmm. So one of the most common instructions that's given that has created massive problems, not just for the SI joint, but for knees and for hip joints is the idea that in a wide stance, standing posture, the hips must be squared at the front. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you have one leg rotating out 90 degrees, it's the, the acetabulum, the actual socket of the hip has to be in agreement with the external rotation of one leg, especially if the other leg is doing something completely different, which is turning in. Right. So if, if you knew nothing about SI anatomy and I simply said to you, when you turn your leg out in triangle pose or warrior pose, you must have your knee agreeing with your foot, which, which generally people understand that. They go, yes, absolutely. The knee shouldn't be twisting. When the foot turns out, the knee must agree with, with that rotation and the hip also has to agree with it. If, if they follow that, the pelvis will reorient. The, right. the upper side of the pelvis will reorient to allow for that external rotation. Yeah. Now, if, if you have it in your mind that the pelvis must be squared at the front, which many people do, they'll try and move 
the pelvis back against that rotation. Now, there's a whole lot of things that happen. Um, the first thing that happens is they'll rotate their knee inwards, which is a total no-no. Mm -hmm. And the hip will swing back into a really unstable position in the hip socket. And the SI joint has a, 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 an unstable shear force going through it where the front of the, the anterior portion of the joint will gap open and the back of the joint will be jammed closed. Now, like nine times out of 10, if I go around, if I go over to someone and say, could I just suggest that your pelvis could come forward on the side? And nine times out of 10, they'll say, oh, that feels so much better in my sacroiliac joint. And I said, well, why don't you trust that? And they'll say, because that's not the correct way to do it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean, I have literally had. I'm rem I'm remembering one client who came to me in Australia. She'd been in an intensive, and she was in acute pain. She could not sit. She could not lie down. She could not stand. She could not bend forward. She could not bend backwards, without pain in her SI joint. And she said, "Would you, would you, uh, take me for a private lesson?" And because it was so extreme I agreed to meet with her after the intensive and after about an hour and a half of of showing her how she might um, reorient her pelvis in standing posture work and her feeling immediate relief like immediate relief from her pain hmm. as she was getting up to leave she turned to me and she said but you know I can't I can't do that tomorrow during my assessment because I I won't get certified. And she said, and I certainly can't teach my students to do this because it's not in agreement with the method. And I, uh, I thought, wow. Uh, that's the degree to which people have come to believe yeah, um, yeah. these instructions that have often come all due respect from teachers who have not did not have any training in anatomy or kinesiology um and their methods per se long term are starting to result in senior practitioners having double hip replacements and so on and so forth mm. so sometimes we don't see the results of a seemingly innocuous instruction like hip square to the front Right. until we've got practitioners who've been going at it for 20 years who who discovered that the labrum in both the hips is gone and and they're now bone on bone yeah so yeah. they i feel really passionate about it because i i feel that we really need to um avoid a future generation of people having having these these problems yeah i think we're one of the things that we tend to not be very conscious about in the yoga community is the origin of yoga postures, at least the traditions that made it to the U.S., you know, which was the population that these postures were developed for. So you have the classical example, Astanga Yoga developed for teenage boys, right, with a narrow pelvis and a lot of stamina and a lot of testosterone flowing around and when I had to mm. be engaged. And mm. so you take that type of practice and say, okay, well, this is how you practice yoga. 
But in actuality, you know, this is how a certain group of people practice yoga. And similarly with the Iyengar system, which has much more of um, a focus on modifications and adapting the pose to each body, of course, was created by Mr. Iyengar himself, who had a lot of physical problems and had to at least initially find a way to adapt the practice. But I think we often forget that there are anatomical differences that means that you don't, you can't teach yoga the same way to every person. Mm. And, and so in, in a sense, those adaptations haven't gone far enough. Right. But ultimately, uh, if people are given the tools to feel what it's like when there's a clear tracking of force from their leg through the bridge of their pelvis to the other leg. Mm -hmm. The felt sensation that tells me my SI joint is snug. And when I push from my front leg, it immediately transfers force to my back leg. That's a great signal that the relationship between the legs is harmonious mm -hmm. and that I'm working in a way that makes sense for my structure. When people ha gain access to those feelings, they're quite capable of adjusting their postures for themselves. Yeah. And, and they, do it, um, they do it very, very well. That, that's been my experience. They don't necessarily need me to um, help them after a certain point other than with maybe really fine tuning um, here and there, mm -hmm. but for the most part of people that are given access to their own felt sensations, they, they would never arrive in these ludicrous <laughs> positions. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is really odd trying to get your pelvis square to the front with one leg turned out 90 degrees and the other turned in. It feels like trying to create an Egyptian hieroglyph out, out of the body. Right. and flatten it into one plane when yeah. in fact the movement is occurring in multiple planes um, right. Right. and it's three three dimensional yeah um, once people get a felt sense of that uh, generally they they just have to be encouraged to trust it and yeah. and then sometimes unfortunately and i do hear this a lot our students will come up after an intensive and say I'm not so sure I can go back to my teacher. Ouch. Ouch. Because their teacher is adjusting them in ways that they now know are counter to uh, their bodily health. Mm -hmm. And they feel that they don't have permission to work in this adaptive way within the context of the, the pedagogy with which the teacher is working. And, 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 and that can, you know, that can be really hard for people who may then feel quite isolated in their practice. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I'm surprised to hear that because there is such a growing emphasis on the concept of teaching yoga for everybody and how, um, you know, we need to be able to adapt yoga postures, not to sort of a universal template of a person, but to what works for people's body. At least mm. in the U.S., that's a really big discussion. 
So when you travel, you still see the sort of more rigid adherence to specific systems of teaching yoga? Um, I, yeah, I see it everywhere. I see it in the US, I see it in Australia, New Zealand. Certainly as, as the training standards for teachers have improved, um, I see less and less of this and maybe that's a self-select process because often many of the people who are hosting me have been trained by me and so their students many of the students who are coming have been trained by them right. and i've definitely been seeing a big improvement in australia in the uk um in that those students coming to intensives have had really good foundational training and not so much when I say good foundational training in a, a method, they've had good foundational training in learning how to uh, feel into their unique body and learning how to work, work with that, um, right. which is yeah. quite a different process than just listening to instructions. Yes, yes. And really yeah. the essence of of what yoga is about right because it's building mm. that close intimate relationship between mind and body and uh yeah now one of the um other uh features <coughs> that i noted in your writing that you said can cause si joint problems is poor core strength yeah could you explain that connection in more detail um well it started it, it started with me noticing that because i'm i'm a, a equestrian and uh, when i began seriously riding um my hip muscles got stronger and as they got stronger and my core muscles got a lot stronger and as they got stronger i became less flexible in my hips and i can remember the day i went to do a sequence with half lotus and and went oh i can't do that anymore because my my hip muscles were so strong uh -huh. but i also noticed that with this increase in in hip stability and strength and increase in core strength that i was having a lot fewer problems with my lower back and my si joint yeah. um, and uh, yeah i would say that most yogis if they're just doing a yoga practice, probably are not doing enough core strength work. And I don't just mean isolated, um, uh, isolated core work uh, around the pelvic area, but whole global body integrated strength, because whether your core is strong or not, it's not just a matter of whether you have strong transverse abdominus muscles right. uh, but whether things are switching on across the diagonals in the body and so on right. so you know now i'm really encouraging people to uh walk more to maybe integrate uh for me since having my riding accident i've been swimming mm -hmm. and uh the swimming has helped enormously uh, especially with the use of a pull boy between the inner thighs to stabilize the pelvis uh, in no people might not even think swimming as a core strengthening movement but when you're pushing 
um, pushing against the resistance of water with your arms, with your core right. switched on. Yes. It's, it's yeah. incredible movement. Uh, of course, if you're swimming well, uh, uh, with, with a really stable center, then it, it's an amazing whole body, uh, movement. So for, for some yogis, it could be very helpful to even consider doing some gym work. Um, there is, uh, a device that I've recently been introduced to call the OOV, O-O-V, and that's a wonderful uh, device that people can use to add to their yoga postures. So in, in one of the videos for the SI course, uh, my, my friend Sam Lowe is doing the same movements on the floor, and I'm doing those movements on the OOV. Well, doing them on the OOV, quite frankly, is up the level of, of of what's going to happen as a result of those movements by about a factor of 10. Oh, wow. Um, wow. So, you know, why not? Why not? If, if yeah, you're going to yeah. do, if you're going to do these core strengthening movements as a part of your yoga practice, find something right. that uh, maximizes your, yeah. your time and your effort. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I really do think that most yogis need to do, a great deal more strengthening work and, and a lot less focus on on flexibility right. but of course that's not that's not going to get you a million instagram followers <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite as flashy that is true no no it's generally the people who've got their feet behind their head and and doing very extreme asymmetrical movements and extreme range of motion movements yeah yeah that, well, that unfortunately has become the way that yoga is perceived because that's how people got to know it. They did not get to know it as a mm. great technique for building interoceptive awareness and settling mind and body, more like, you know, flashy young models doing fancy poses. Well, I was thinking about this the other day, Eva, and um, when I began practicing, I was considered very flexible, very hypermobile. And uh, can remember Judith Lasseter looking at me in my first class with her and telling me I was nothing but a noodle, uh, which is true. I was not very strong. I was nothing but a noodle. But when I look at the practices that we were doing at that time and even at the the peak of doing what I would call kind of quite virtuosic practice mm-hmm. those practices pale in they, they're almost pedestrian in comparison to what's coming down the chute now which is um really really extreme ranges of motion that you're more more likely to see known circus performers than really interesting person yeah and and unfortunately when people see these images there's there's the the sense that if only i practice long enough i could be able to do that too and the truth is what they're seeing is a freak of nature right right You, you you had to have already been uh, 
you know, you were born into that body that was already had a propensity for hypermobility and and even within the genetic um, coding of our collagen, like I was reading some interesting research on pelvic floor stability. There are wonderful physiotherapists in Brisbane called Sue Craft. She's written several books about this. And they're finding that uh, in people who have um, a different type of collagen, there's type one, type two, that if they have type two collagen, that I think it's type two, um, that they're more likely to have insufficiency in the um, fiber structure of their pelvic floor. And they noted that uh, many of the women who then present later with uh, prolapse um, issues of the pelvic floor, which is part of the very big part of the core and a big part of what keeps the core stable, um, uh, that those women, when they were younger, had a propensity for things like gymnastics and ballet. It was in their genetic coding to be able to do these really extreme movements, right. but it can play out later, uh, being very problematic, especially after several several births. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Now, before I let you go, um, I do want to hear a little bit more about this course you developed. I know you worked very hard. I think you spent three months preparing yeah. this course yeah. on common teaching mistakes in yoga that affect the SI joint and how to avoid those issues. Mm. So tell us about the course and, and what you'll be covering. Okay, well, the first part... Uh, really excited about the PowerPoints because I commissioned uh, Sonia Rooney, who's right. done the illustrations for Yoga Mind, Body, Spirit, and Pathways to Center Body, and she came on board, and and we worked for three three months or more on creating not just new uh, anatomical illustrations, but conceptual illustrations to take what can be very com complex concepts in, in to present them graphically so that they're easily understood. So that first PowerPoint of lays the foundation to understand sacroiliac anatomy and the beginning of, of some of the kinesiological issues around how mm -hmm. that joint functions. And then the first two videos, I felt that I had an obligation to speak to some of the most common causes, um, in my humble opinion, some of the most common causes of sacroiliac dysfunction in yogis, because if we don't address those, there's no point in doing all the therapy work because we're, we're literally recreating a problem every time we go back onto the practice mat or into someone's class. So that first video kind of unpacks um, some of those issues. Um, the eight ways that you can stuff up your SI joint all laid out in one hour or so. Right. And, and then the second video in that first course is really geared towards helping people who are already uh, have inflammation, have pain, and getting them calmed down a little bit. Mm -hmm. So because it's, it's pretty hard to uh, 
go into a movement practice when when there is that inflammation and discomfort in the joint now the second part of the course and i really have you to thank for this eva uh the second part begins with a powerpoint where i look at the some of the models for joint theory and how uh for the longest time models for joint function have been predominantly about just about stability and incorporating this new model model from is it hoffman and gable where we're understanding it's it's not just stability that we we have to uh work with we have to work with our mobility systems and especially in terms of the motor control getting a synchronized motor control going on in in the body Mm. so that second powerpoint also lays out a uh, conceptual protocol um, rather than giving people here's a set of postures um, to do or not do because so many people will be coming into this course from different traditions here's a here's a conceptual protocol that you might want to look at in terms of designing your classes and formulating your own recovery or the recovery of a student and then in video three and four three is really the one uh to watch uh three is starting to build that core strength practice video yeah and it's very much a practice on the straight and narrow it's but i can personally attest as someone who now broke their pelvis in two pieces a year ago that through practicing in this very symmetrical and um consistent way it has realigned and restored the stability of my pelvis quite remarkably so i've been the test dummy (laughs) for that course in a, a big way um and then the fourth course is it looks at and i think it's something that has perhaps not been uh addressed in the past quite so well is as we move out of that straight and uh, straight and narrow kind of practice where we're uh healing where we're building stability in the si joint we might be avoiding certain movements how then do we restore multi-dimensional movement because even just even just squatting in your kitchen and reaching for a saucepan on the bottom shelf you're going to be doing asymmetrical movements with your legs with your spine with your pelvis so how do we begin doing those movements again because we do want to restore full mobility right um but the long and the short of it is that uh, for for many people doing the course, it, it may mean that into the future, there are certain practices that just get ditched. Um, the choice being, I'd really like to feel comfortable in my body and be able to do a conservative yoga practice and be able to do all my everyday activities in comfort. <coughs> 
and maybe I need to let go of putting my foot behind my head, <laughs> which has limited limited everyday application, by the way. But <laughs> right, right. but for for some folks that that's that's hard. It's hard for them to let go of of practices that maybe they identify with. Um, so, well, I think yeah. for most people let go of the idea that one of the one of these days you'll look like one of the models on the cover yeah. of yoga journal right um just the, the road to accepting your body and the way you do the pose is um is quite a path for for a lot of people mm-hmm. even uh irrespective of whether or not that involves letting go of the foot behind the head or just mm-hmm. looking like a regular 50 year old in warrior two. <laughs> yeah. But the good news and the good news is that there are millions of people worldwide who are looking for, uh, confident yoga teachers who very much want to come in to practice in a, a gentle and, um, balanced way. And they're, you know, they might be quite alienated by those images that they're seeing in social media. In fact, that might be what's stopping them from getting to the yoga studio because they're not doing yoga because they're not flexible enough. Right. right. Um, So I think there is enormous scope for teachers to really serve the community by um, shifting the emphasis in, yeah. in practice now and bringing it back to accessibility and practical relevance for you know the everyday person yeah yeah there's no shortage of students for teachers who learn how to to do that yeah yeah i well there we in some cities i'm hearing there's real saturation um with um lots and lots of of teachers but i think there'll always be a a place for really well trained teachers and and um cream rises to the top so i don't get too too distracted uh by what's going on out there and what's going on in social media and what's um the latest flavor of the month um be because i think when teachers really um stick to what they're doing and the integrity of that that in in the long run that's going to serve serve them better professionally and 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 again it's going to serve the people that we're here to to offer on this work to yeah yeah wonderful well donna thank you so much for for joining us and you're welcome um, for sharing this this important course with us and we're very very much looking forward to it So thanks again. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.